Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Andrea Houston, managing editor of Ricochet, and also, full disclosure, partner to our news editor, Jonathan Goldsby. Yes. Welcome to Shortcuts for the first time. Thank you. Great to be here. Today on the show, springtime for Hitler in Ottawa and parents' rights. What could possibly be controversial about that? I don't know. Glad to have you here on Shortcuts, where we talk shit about the news. Great to be here. This episode is brought to everybody by Corin DeVries, Leah Scharzer, Conrad Kuricki, Roxanne Dunmore, Lynn Stein, Kenneth Jeffers, Natasha Harwood, and Danny Gay-Belanger. Hey, I'm Danny. I'm a PhD candidate based in Montreal, and I support Canland, even though I vigorously disagree with Jesse on many, many things, um, in particular on how he mispronounced my name in a recent shout-out. Um, it's pronounced Gay, Jesse, not Gwai. Joking aside, um, I support Canada Land because of some of its amazing shows like Commons and Detour, which do some of the most amazing reporting I've heard in a very long time. Um, please don't stop. We need people like you more than ever. House Speaker Anthony Roda praised a Ukrainian veteran in Parliament who served in a Nazi unit during the Second World War. The Speaker of the Canadian Parliament managed to invite someone he thought was a war hero. The federal Liberals under attack from opposition parties and Jewish groups. But this is something that is deeply embarrassing to the Parliament of Canada and by extension to all Canadians. It's with a heavy heart that I rise to inform members of my resignation as Speaker of the House of Commons. Andrea. Wow. Where to even fucking begin? <laughs> All right, let's let's begin with the with the coverage. Who was this war hero? Who was who was <laughs> Hunka? The media is not so sure. The CBC described him as a Ukrainian soldier with Nazi ties. Okay. Hmm. That's that's not great. Nazi ties. Hmm. CBC also described Hunka as um, belonging to a Nazi-linked hmm. unit. Truth of the matter is that Hunka volunteered to serve for the SS. So the BBC knows what that is. That's a Nazi. Yeah. The that's moment a, that's Canadi- a Nazi. That's like the SS. It's the kind of the the real deal. That's a that's a Nazi. That yeah. is the actual. 
actual Nazis. I, I think the phrase is literal Nazis. Literal Nazis. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> like, I know that accuracy is really important to journalists, but I think that the, the Brits still remember what a Nazi is. So the BBC says, the moment Canadian lawmakers celebrate Ukrainian Nazi. Al Jazeera, no ambiguity. Canada Parliament Speaker faces calls to step down after honoring Nazi. Yet, we're still, we want to get it right. Here, here's how uh, the question was asked on, on, on Front Burner. You know, everyone's really confused. The Galician infantry, is that really? Mm. And so, uh, Tamara Kandaker, who's filling in uh, as the host of Front Burner, asks uh, journalist David Puglese. I want to learn a little bit more about this unit that Hunka served in. This is the 14th Waffen Grenadier Division of the SS, which is often called the First Galician. Mm-hmm. How was it formed and what was the role that it was supposed to play in the war? What was the role that the SS was, was like, uh, victory for the Third Reich? <laughs> Murder. <laughs> uh, what was the ro- how, how Nazi-ish was this Nazi? Was it was it was this on the, a scale of one to ten? Yeah, <laughs> was this the SS or like the S? Was this the sorta SS? I, like, how, like, we don't want to be too hasty here. Oh, children. Oh, my goodness. What is going on here? What a mess. I mean, this is one way to turn the page off the another international crisis, being the assassination of the Sikh separatist. I mean, what a start to Parliament, though. <laughs> oh, I've got dog shit on my foot. What do I do? Let me hop right into this elephant shit. <laughs> I'm laughing here. I, I like, listen, like, how did Trudeau respond? Forget the media response. What did Trudeau say? This is something that is deeply embarrassing. That's for the, sure. It's deeply embarrassing to the Parliament of Canada, and by extension, to all Canadians. Speak for yourself. I'm not embarrassed. I'm fucking mad. Mm. Yeah. A Nazi got two standing ovations in my parliament. Yeah. Why should I feel embarrassed about that? I'm furious. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's to me, the first thing I started to think about was all the memorials and monuments that we we have in Canada to Nazis and uh, Nazi collaborators and, and, you know, all the people that came here and were welcomed with open arms, Nazis and Nazi collaborators. And I thought, well, you know, it's interesting that we're talking about this now with the Nazi in the House of Commons. Will this then open the door to have finally have conversations about tearing monuments down and and having a, a look at, you know, our refugee history with Nazis? I'm glad you bring it up because this is what I think is getting missed in the coverage. Because, I mean, I think there's a lot of people who are looking at this like, oh, like, obviously this was a mistake. Like, there's no intentionality here. This was just like the biggest boner that, like, you know, (laughs) former Speaker Rota is going to spend the rest of his life like, oh, my God. I'm so – I'm sure that he's very sorry. I'm sure that they're all very embarrassed. I don't think there is any intentionality. But how could they have possibly avoided this? How could they have known It's not like they don't have a little bit of history with this particular subject. And I want to say, like, everyone's like, oh, could Trudeau, is it fair to blame Trudeau? Should Trudeau take responsibility? Let's just go through the short history of Trudeau, Ukraine, and Nazis. We in the media were warned. Don't fall for this Russian propaganda. They're shopping around a story about Christia Freeland. It's, Mm. It's Russian propaganda. It was Russian propaganda. It was also true. That Christia Freeland's grandfather was a Nazi collaborator. Yep. And yes, that that helped the Putin narrative, but it was a fact of history that he published a Nazi newspaper that was seized from a Jew. And then there were many scandals around Canadian military training Azov battalion members. 
this neo-Nazi far-right extremist group with where it wears SS and and then there is, as you mentioned, like an ongoing controversy around monuments to literal Nazis on Canadian soil. Yeah. So you know, you would think that anything to do with Ukrainian nationalism, especially in the context of the Second World War, there would be some kind of awareness, like amongst the Trudeau liberals. Just be careful here. Yep. Heightened red flags. Obviously, there isn't a, a vetting process. We went through that whole discussion yesterday in the media as well. You know, what is vetted? What isn't vetted? What is security clearance? What isn't? But exactly, if there is somebody who's coming as a guest who, you know, may have some connections to Nazis or the SS, then maybe there should have been a heightened heightened attention as to their history and what their connections actually are. I mean, this is really entry-level stuff. For, you know, like, it's just like, Very oh, he's a, he's a 98-year-old Ukrainian? Yeah. So my first, I'm like, well, where, where was he, you know? <laughs> and and yeah, you, you brought it up as well. Like, we knew, my dad and, and my, my family from Winnipeg, they, they lived next door to the Ukrainian population. There were plenty of U- Ukrainians who fought against the Nazis, and yep. there were plenty of Ukrainians who fought with the Nazis. And it was yep. understood in that neighborhood that your neighbor met, might be a Nazi. And there were all kinds of stories of people bumping into people that they knew. I mean, you know, yep. U- Ukrainians killed a million and a half Jews. Yeah. Okay, so this is my other bone to pick with this, okay? The coverage has been like Jewish groups are mad. Jewish groups are offended. And then, of course, you know, I think that's, of course, they are. And the groups have issued these statements of outrage, okay? And they're putting it like, oh, it's this Jewish groups that are offended. It's, it's, I want to apologize specifically to the Jewish groups. <laughs> like, don't put that on us. Like, it's not my job to be offended as a Jew, right? Like, like, like this idea that, like, we're just reporting on the offense of, I thought we were all kind of on the same page about being offended by Nazis. I mean, this SS group, we don't even know for a fact that they massacred Jews. We do know that they massacred Polish civilians, okay? Or how about veterans and families of World War II vet- but Canadians died fighting these fuckers. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I, I'm i apoplectic. Like, I, I don't know where to begin with this. I don't know that any legislature of an ally power has ever been stained in this way. I don't know that anybody has ever applauded a member of the SS in any country that fought against them. It's a good question. Yeah. I don't, I've never heard of this happening anywhere else. And certainly it's a great point about Jewish people being sole groups that are offended by this. I would think the Ukrainian left in Canada is pretty offended by this. The Ukrainian, like th- there's many Ukrainians who, who stuck their necks out to, you know, raise red flags and raise the alarms about fellow Ukrainians that were Nazis. And here this is, this is an incident, this is a, an international incident that is painting an entire people as Nazis. There's a lot of people who are have good reason to be offended. Yeah, they have pissed a, 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 off. like practical reasons to be pissed off because, yeah. of course, this does hand Putin this propaganda yeah, device. Like, exactly. Like, you know, he, he's been trying to, you know, smear this, like make it okay to invade Ukraine based on the idea that he's denazifying. And exactly. Like all misinformation, this, there, there are kernels of truth that he's playing with here. Like, what a gift to hand him. What, what an offense to Zelensky to put him in that position. There, there are two lessons that I know that our government is not going to take from this, but they are the obvious lessons. And it's, you know, how could this be avoided and what went wrong here? The first one is that the Canadian establishment and the Canadian government have embraced a simplistic good guy, bad guy narrative, beating the war machine drums, Ukraine good, Russia. Like, yes, 
I like I, I know where my sympathies lie here. But this just keeps happening. There were like these like stoic portraits in the Globe and Mail of like these like manly soldiers, this 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 uh, war propaganda, this jingoism that we have fallen into that makes you vulnerable to this kind of mistake. Because as soon as you accept this narrative, Ukraine good, Ukraine always good, Ukraine versus Russia, super good, hero, fight, like it's, it's red scare stuff, it's xenophobic stuff, and it's just moral absolutism. That's that's propagandistic and, and truth, you know, will, will never survive that. So when Rhoda's like, how did I what happened here? It's that you bought into some bullshit, you know, and the reason why people buy into bullshit, why our elected officials of all people are doing this is because they don't have an understanding of history. Mm-hmm. They don't have an understanding of history and they don't have an understanding of concepts like intersectionality and seeing that, you know, our prime minister is one who has a history of blackface Our you know, the leader of the conservative party is one who has cozied up to far right leaders from other countries. We have numerous officials within within the House of Commons who have said, you know, gaffes that show that they don't have an understanding of history. And just, you know, what one thing that happened yesterday that many people in the media have pointed out is just, you know, if even listening intently or listening closely to his introduction would have maybe given you pause. Yeah. To, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I Wait a minute. I'm not going to applaud this. I, I, I wonder about that. Like, I don't want to, like, just, like, point fingers all over the place. But, like, even sitting in that audience, like, you know, everybody's doing the standing ovation and he's, he's introduced to you as this war hero. But, like, even within that information was enough to just be like, can I have five minutes to check Wikipedia before I stand yeah. up? here and you know they didn't so no no they did not and that was clear you I could you could see on some of their faces though there was some questioning that was happening but you know like I, you you do see the sort of clapping seals thing yeah. when, in 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 legislatures and and in houses of commons when people are introduced and it's not exclusive to to the Canadian parliament certainly but I think that more thoughtful take a moment take a beat to really consider before you applaud people <laughs> I was I was actually feeling really bad for Karina Gould yeah. who, who who's uh Same. you know a child of I don't know if it's her parents or grandparents but she, she said she, lots of her family were killed of, in, in death camps and then she asked for uh, every trace of this to be struck from the record and my sympathy disappeared we, yeah. we don't remove this happened this happened finally I think the lesson to take from this is that once again, why this own goal, why this self-inflicted wound from the Trudeau government, and it's the same vulnerability, it's the same failing that it always is with this government. It is hubris. It is grandstanding. It is, they are sanctimonious. They are self-righteous. They present themselves as the shining virtuous people, and they're not as good as they think they are, and they're not as smart as they think they are, and they are, they're smarmy, and it keeps costing them, and they never learn this lesson. They never learn it. They just, they'll take every opportunity to puff out their chest and say, everyone, we are the good ones, and let's all cheer for our goodness. And, and we're, <laughs> like, they're so, from day one, it worked at first. They, they stepped into office, and some of that energy is like, you know, after Harper and after the barbaric cultural, it's like, yes. Youth and gender equity, and they look at the diversity, and like you, you, you can take that energy for a minute and be like, yeah, "Look, look at us! It's 2015." It ain't 2015 anymore. No, and they now have a litany of broken promises in their wake and any number of, of gaffes and scandals and, and oopsies that we can point to, all of which could have been avoided with just some thought. I mean, this is this goes goes to having a neoliberal government, right? This is this is what we have because we have a government that isn't really interested in listening to working people or, or people who maybe have some knowledge of history. And I think that this all speaks to the type of government that we've been we've been we've been living with. 
a government that came in on the heels of Stephen Harper and absolutely was a breath of fresh air at first because coming out of that that era. But it's uh, as we've seen, it's not a government that is, is interested in listening to to people. This episode, Andrea, is brought to everybody by Squarespace. Have you ever made a website? I uh, have, but it was unsuccessful. I'm sorry to hear that. I would like to recommend to you for your future website endeavors, Squarespace. It, it makes it super easy. I've, I've like, I don't know. I've had to just like, shit, we need a website in like two days. And they have these beautiful websites pre-made and you, you just put your own images and text in it. And then like, that's your starting point. But then as you need more things, you have all the things. You can do e-commerce. You can sell products. You can do scheduling. You can sell time. You can sell appointments. It has SEO. It has social media. It's like they, they, all the things that a website might do, they, they, they have kind of Consider that, and you just press a button, and you got it. It's easy to make beautiful video content with Squarespace. They have templates and a built-in studio. Many tools, blogging tools, analytics, email campaigns. It's a one-stop shop. Head to squarespace.com slash CanadaLand for a free trial. When you are ready to launch, enter the promo code CanadaLand to save 10% off of your first purchase of a website or domain. Andrea, you know that we duly note things on the show. I do. Uh, may I begin? Sure. This is the first version of this story that ran in the Toronto Sun. And, and, you know, we can say a lot of things about the Toronto Sun, and we've said a lot of things about the Toronto Sun. But i got a few opinions. But one question we've had is, like, do they even care? <laughs> do they even care? <laughs> and maybe they do because they, they, they actually changed a headline. So I thought oh. that that's, that's worth noting. Here's the first headline. Trudeau's plane had cocaine. Oh, that's why cocaine was trending today. Trudeau's plane had, here's the full headline they initially ran. Trudeau's plane had cocaine during G20, former Indian diplomat claims. Holy shit, is that a piece of red meat to throw into the information (laughs) ecosystem? And boy, it was trending nationally. You know, that's like, it's still just on this side of mainstream news and all the right wing sites. Holy shit, there's a headline with Trudeau with, Cocaine? That's 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 up there with blackface. That's a huge one. <laughs> what a week. What a week. We have Nazis and cocaine. And it's okay, so what's in the actual story? Well, India doesn't like us right now. And an Indian minister was on some talk show. <laughs> Here's what he said. When Trudeau came to India for the G20, his plane was full of cocaine, he said to a debate show. He didn't come out of his room for two days. My wife saw him at the Delhi airport one time. And band camp. <laughs> what? I saw the teacher in the closet. My wife saw Trudeau at the Delhi airport. And, and my wife said Trudeau looked depressed and stressed. Vora continued. We don't know the reason. I don't know the reality. I don't know the reality. But social media and credible rumors suggest that his plane was full of cocaine. He was lonely. He's now trying to show that he is a Canadian Rambo. And nothing can go wrong in his presence. India has done the right thing by suspending visa services in Canada. Oh, so this is linked maybe to this other thing between, wow, that is pretty thin gruel. And maybe it's newsworthy that this is bullshit is being spread in India and that that the Modi government, their own minister, is trying to spread some, like, like, that's great. Now we're part of their bullshit information sludge machine. Okay, great. But for the headline to start with Trudeau's plane had cocaine, maybe not responsible. And I want to duly note that the Toronto Sun, I I would imagine after some urgent phone calls from the PMO, changed that headline to former Indian diplomats claims troubling example 
of disinformation, says PMO. Wow. <laughs> That's quite a correction. Duly noted. <laughs> have you brought something today? I have. Right now, as we, as we speak, as we record, there is a group of Northern Indigenous leaders who are in Toronto rallying in Grange Park, marching to Queen's Park to confront Doug Ford on the so-called Ring of Fire mining development that is planned. This has been an ongoing story, and uh, I've, I've been following it somewhat for the last few years, but it's really becoming a, a major issue. This isn't the first time Indigenous leaders have been in Toronto to confront Doug Ford, and we know that the legislature is, is sitting, and so they're hoping to have a face-to-face with him. What they're protesting is is the development itself, but also the encroachment of mining generally. We know mining is part of Canada's history. In fact, the majority of the world's mining companies are based in Canada. They've done unmitigated damage throughout South America, Central America, Africa, and they continue to do so. And what these Indigenous community leaders are saying is, we, we want to have a say. We want you to not develop our our lands that we use for hunting and for fishing and and for for living off the land. And it's time that we listen to them. It's time that Doug Ford listened to them, that, you know, not everything has to be about economic development. And what is being sold to Canadians or people in Ontario is that this is all part of the green shift, that this mining is for lithium and other minerals needed for electric cars. And we need electric cars because it's a climate crisis, Uh, that this is the only answer. And the reality is that it's not the only answer, that the reality is electric cars are still plugged into fossil fuels. They still require being plugged into the grid and enormous amounts of water needed for mining, water in communities that don't even have fresh drinking water in some cases. I wanted to duly note this because it's probably not going to get a whole lot of media attention. And I think that it's really going to be interesting to see if if he listens, if they get a face-to-face, if they even get a chance to see him or have a meeting with him. And I think that it's, it's a story that we should all be paying attention to. Well, now might be a good moment. I think it's important to kick Doug Ford when he's down. <laughs> Can people read about this on in Ricochet? Oh, yeah. We're, we, I've sent a, a videographer to cover it. And so there'll be a video hopefully very soon on Ricochet. And uh, we're going to do much more coverage uh, as this story progresses. Uh, we actually want to send our reporter Brandy Morin to the Ring of Fire. And so that's that's in our plans for the coming year. Brandy's a wonderful journalist. We've had the pleasure She's of working amazing. with her. She's the best. Duly noted. I got one last one here. I promise to keep people up to date uh, on this uh, legal action. You know, I really just see an erosion of protections for the press in the courts and protections for our sources. Uh, so I told I told uh, listeners recently about this uh, slew of allegations against this megachurch leader. Mm. And uh, his high-powered attorneys have demanded that the Toronto Star hand over documents that would reveal Bruxy's source and information uh, that the source provided to the Toronto Star. And the Toronto Star has been fighting this in the courts and um, had, uh, last time I I spoke about this, had uh, launched an appeal. They don't want, and they did not want the courts to even get their hands on this. They don't want sources to have to worry. If I'm talking to a journalist, is this eventually going to end up in the hand of the the accused rapist, his lawyers, or even is this going to end up in the hands of law enforcement or the courts. And what we as journalists want is, is to be able to assure them no and what we can't assure them in Canada because we don't know for a fact. In this case, the Toronto Star said we, that, you know, the courts were saying, Brooksy's lawyers were saying, we want these documents and it'll go through a judge who can determine whether or not we get them. And I think that the only rational position for the press was to say, no, even that is a step too far. We don't hand this over to a judge. And I think that this is a scoop here. It's a bit of a sad scoop. Uh, The Toronto Star lost that appeal. My understanding is they don't necessarily have to hand over those files to the judge 
immediately, but that is up to the judge. Hmm. And that is a shift of power from a newsroom to the courts, and it comes at the erosion of our ability to do our jobs as reporters. Duly noted. Tensions flaring here in Ottawa today as hundreds of protesters and counter-protesters faced off downtown. A number of controversial marches are taking place across the city and country this week. This has been a day of protest, counter-protest, and even some confrontations over sex ed and LGBTQ rights. It all centered around whether schools should teach gender ideology and how teachers should refer to transgendered youth. It was called the One Million March for Children. Mm-hmm. And I think that this was a difficult one for newsrooms to figure out what to do with. On the one hand, we have this obligation to tell people what's going on. And across the country, there were protests. So I don't care if you're protesting for a legitimate cause or it's the Flat Earth Society. (laughs) If there are protests on the streets across Canada, that's news. And people need to know what's going on. On the other hand, there were not a million people. In many of these cases, there were like a couple dozen people. And and my understanding is that the counter-protesters outnumbered the protesters in like most cases. Most cases. I I mean, in Alberta, there was certainly uh, the protesters were outnumbered or outnumbered the counter-protesters in some cases. What did you make of the coverage? This is a story that is not a new story. This is not a new protest. You know, it's important for journalists to understand that this fits into a much longer, much deeper history. You know, th- what these protesters are, many of the the, the rhetoric and the anti-gay slurs uh, and the foundation of their argument that parents need to have a say, parents need to be involved, this is, this is inappropriate for children. This is a long history going back decades. This is part of the far-right, evangelical, religious, Christian, far-right Americans, largely, but not exclusively. There's Canadians as well and and people from the UK. But largely, we're talking about the American far-right religious evangelicals who have, beginning with like Anita Bryant, Pat Roberts, and all of those people back in the 70s. And it really, there's a thread, a line you could attach right to what is happening here in Canada right now, meeting, of course, with with what is happening in the the U.S. with all of the anti-trans and anti-LGBT laws. This is about destabilizing democracy. This is about drumming up fear and chaos and divisiveness within families and communities, creating a distraction for other issues, and really bringing many far-right groups and far-right individuals together under one banner, under one coalition. These are the same people who drummed up fear about about vaccines, the same people who tried to raise fear around migrants and refugees. It's it's, It's just a new person or a new group to hate. Now, what is really scary about this is that it's not just North America. It's not just the U.S. and Canada. This is a global network of anti-gay, far-right evangelicals who have exported this message that, you know, gay people are coming for your children, that, you know, they're trying to recruit kids. This is a message that has been exported around the world. Most recently, we've seen the Kill the Gays bill be passed in Uganda. Uh, This is a a piece of legislation that was initially tabled 
back in 2014, after a number of far-right pastors went to Uganda, such as Scott Lively and, and, and others, who had the ear of government, who pushed this rhetoric, and it took hold, and, and it was really popular, and it ended up emboldening politicians. Now, it's important to note that there was already uh, an anti-gay law in Uganda. It was already a crime to be gay, one of the many countries around the world where it is a crime to be gay. This advanced the punishment, this to, to make it a death sentence or life in prison. And it worked. The message worked. It radicalized Ugandans to hate LGBTQ people. The media played a key role in that, outing people on the front page with their names and pictures and where they work, encouraging people to hunt people down on the street and kill them. The evangelicals then went over to Russia and they and they convinced Vladimir Putin to pass a law called the anti-gay propaganda law, which effectively erased LGBTQ people from the public square and from existence entirely, creating enormous fear. And again, vigilante violence. And so we're seeing it now come back to North America and from people like Ron DeSantis in Florida. And now we're seeing it come up to Canada. Emboldened, of course, Pierre Polyev posed for pictures with many of the same leaders who are now rallying to repeal inclusive policies in schools. You know, there's other motivations as well as privatizing public spaces and public institutions like education, healthcare. And so there's deeper motives, there's darker motives, and I think we're at the beginning of a very dark road that we're we're going down as humanity in many cases. For as far as media goes, knowing this history and understanding this history and putting these protests in context with that history is absolutely critical. That was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. <laughs> I know from talking to parents who had some level of sympathy towards this, that that would sound wild. Like you're talking about Uganda and mobs hunting people down. Yep. You're talking about fundamentalists and you're talking about the Christian, you know, right. A lot of parents I know who would just not relate to any of those things no. No. and who do relate to the simple language of parents' rights. Yep. And I don't want the school keeping secrets from me. And I think that the the presentation of this as simply that, a parents' rights march, yep. has led to a mainstreaming of this. And I think that the way that that mainstreaming plays out in newsrooms is like, look, this is happening. Lots of normal people are going to these things, and let's just talk to them. And so The Current on CBC did a uh, two sides of the story piece. Mm. Secondly, they, they spoke to the, a parent of, of queer kids who just said some very reasonable things about wanting his kids to be safe. But before that, there was this interview. And I'm going to play, I'm going to play a, a fair amount of this. This is Matt Galloway speaking to one of the protesters, one of the organizers, Bahira Abdul Salam. In Ontario, parents have the option to opt out, have their children opt out of sexual health education classes. There's no penalty. There's no punishment there. Is that, is know. that not enough to address your concerns? No, we are not talking about uh, some classes. This is the whole system. This is the new religion of the government that is in every single uh, class and every single subject and every single uh, policy of the uh, school boards. It is not one class that I will opt out uh, of and then I will be accused that I am uh, racist because I'm taking my child off. This is unacceptable. Uh, and like, for example, we don't really uh, teach religions at schools. You don't have to, to learn Islam not to be Islamophobe. At the same time, 
you don't have to teach gender ideology in order to respect uh, students who have special conditions or are different. Kids, so kids tell is, kids tell us. Trans kids tell us. Uh, gay kids tell us. LGBTQ kids tell us that they are at risk. The stats show that they are at risk. The trans kids, in particular, have a much mm-hmm. higher level, for example, of mm-hmm. of a possibility of suicide. The BC Human Rights Commissioner, among many others, has said. If you erase LGBTQ kids from the curriculum, it's not going to change your child's identity, but it will make schools and LGBTQ people in those schools less safe. Why would you want to make those kids less safe? No, we don't want to make anyone less safe. We want our kids to be safe. 95% of the Canadians are not trans kids, they don't want to be identified themselves by this. So don't try to push this agenda of all the Canadian students. I will teach my son my own values. We'll leave it there. Thank you very much for joining us. I want to talk about what we just heard Mm. for a minute. I think Matt Galloway was doing his best, Mm -hmm. but I don't think that should have ever aired. And if you are going to air it, I think that what you ended up with was kind of a train wreck. What you kind of ended up with was two people saying, won't you think of the children? Well, won't you think of the children? Like, I think it's okay to let somebody give them enough rope to hang themselves. But yep. like she, it's all in there in what she said. He's trying to minimize it. He's like, Hey, if you don't want your kids to take sexual health class, you can just opt out. So what's your problem? And listen to what she says. She says, we're not just talking about some classes. This is the whole system. This is the new religion of the government. She is right. It is It is the policy of our public schools that if a kid wants to be a he, then he is a he in every class. Yeah. Every class has to respect that. That is, I don't know if it's the religion of the schools, but that is the ideology of the schools is we're going to respect that kid. If a kid wants to go into the girl's washroom because she identifies as a she, we let her. That is the ideology of our public schools. She's right. That, that that is, it's not just, you can't opt out of that. And if she doesn't like that, she can go fuck herself. Like that, that's actually the response to that is like, okay, I, I, you, you have a different point of view of, that, of this. You don't think that that should be possible. You can take your kid out of the public school system. We don't have racially segregated schools and we do not have this anymore either. He doesn't want to ideologically go against her. He wants to say, hey, calm down. There isn't really a conflict here. There is a conflict here, and there's a right side to it and a wrong side to it. Yep. When I hear her say it's the ideology of of the public school system, what I'm hearing is her talking about inclusivity and diversity. <laughs> I'm hearing her talk about the you know the the fundamental respect of LGBTQ young people and their wishes and needs and right to privacy being respected by yes. the schools. And young people have a right to privacy. They have a right to if they're not feeling safe or their identities aren't respected at home, they have a right to disclose that that feeling of a, you know, confusion or, you know, just talk about who they who they are and what they're feeling with somebody who is respectful. They have that right. But but Andrea, that that's a very small minority of kids and uh, all the other kids might feel weird if that's the and, and she makes that point too. And, the and, history and, and, and of it's, human rights is 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 created for the smallest <laughs> minority of people. She makes a major, majoritarian argument explicitly. She ex- she gets her numbers wrong, but she explicitly says, I want my kids to be safe. 95% of Canadians are not trans kids. They don't want this. 
So she's saying the majority needs to win here. Fuck the minority. I don't care about the minority of kids. And she and in another part of the interview, she says she doesn't even accept the idea that they really are trans, that they really do identify uh, as uh, and, and and the school in validating that is making a mistake. And that is totally her right to have a different opinion about that. But we do in public spaces have to make decisions sometimes about which opinion is correct. And yeah, we have made a decision. You know, this washing of this movement, it's just a, the you know, it's a parent's rights. If you want to report on this stuff, the information is there. And, and, and you have to actually contend with what these people are saying. And you bring up the history of this, because I think they are trying to launder and mainstream their message. But their message is really clear on their website. Brothers and sisters of humanity, join us in the march to protect our children from indoctrination and sexualization. And here's another way they put it. We are brothers and sisters in humanity standing up to free our children from the bondage. Interesting word choice. Yeah. Mm. We want to stand up and free our children from the bondage of indoctrination, breaking the system designed to sexualize our children. So this is a group that believes there is a system that is trying to indoctrinate and sexualize children. That's not simply about I don't want my kids to hear a certain ideology. That is a conspiracy theory. Yeah. And again, an old one, a very old one. About grooming. Yeah. Uh, th- about pedophilia. Indoctrination. This is They used this back in the 70s to try and prevent gay uh, and lesbian teachers from teaching in schools and yeah. to try and have them fired. I find it so interesting that they're using the term indoctrination when we have a publicly funded Catholic school system in this province and, and other provinces as well. You know, the, the indoct- true meaning of the word indoctrination is forcing children who don't have who, who who maybe don't want to go forcing them into religious education against their will that's yeah. that's actually indoctrination right and, and, <laughs> and it, this is very similar to to you know we don't force jewish and muslim children to say christian prayers in in school so we are not going to force a kid who is a he to to be called a she or to go into you know w- she makes this point you don't have to study islam to not be Islamophobic. First of all, I don't know what's wrong with studying, learning. No. Like, I don't know what's wrong with teaching a kid about I Islam. I learned about world religions in school. I, maybe what she meant is like actually preach Islam. She's absolutely right. If parents don't want kids to go into a sexual health class where they actually learn about what we know about gender and sexuality, then they can decide not to send their kids into that class. Mm-hmm. But you don't need to know that stuff to know that we respect a person's choice and identity. You don't like you you don't. It, it, I don't know why you wouldn't want to know that stuff, but if you really have a problem with your kid knowing that stuff, fine, teach them whatever you want at home, but you don't need to know that. You don't need to to study if you don't want your kid to learn about Islam, I guess pull your kid from that class, but they can't go disrespecting Islamic students and calling them names, right? Like that's the baseline in a, in a public space is that we have to respect each other. And that's what she's fighting against. So, like, if we're covering this, let's at least cover what, like, these are the people who don't want to respect who people are. And they want to fundamentally change the respect level of schools. When you walk into a public school in Ontario, and I'm sure the rest of the country is the same, you see rainbow flags everywhere. You see trans flags. You see respect diversity, respect inclusion. Like, the messages are very clear that if you are an LGBTQ student, regardless of what it's like at home, you are safe here. You are respected here. And that is a strong and powerful 
powerful message that has saved lives. And so the idea that schools are on the wrong path and that they should, you know, be less respectful, be less inclusive, and this should be, you know, students who who disclose their, you know, their fears or their, you know, their confusion that they're having about their identity, they should be outed to their parents who maybe are like this woman who is, you know, I I hope that she doesn't have an LGBTQ child at home. That makes me really scared for young people, because as Matt accurately said, that trans and and queer young people are some of the most at-risk people in, in our society. And they do take their lives at a disproportionate rate. And it really hurts and and makes me really angry that we are once again having to dispel these ridiculous myths of indoctrination and, and parent rights. And media has a, has a really strong responsibility to be stronger about this, to be stronger on this issue. When they're on the phone with women like that, parents like that, I don't think that we should be amplifying those voices on in the media. I think that you can choose to not platform that person. I think that's a that's a completely understandable given what they're saying and how little substantiation and how much fear-mongering and conspiracy and how wrong so many of these things are and how wrong the stats are, just not having her on is a perfectly legitimate choice. I think it's it can be useful to have somebody come on and say their thing and actually scrutinize it and hold it up to a rational conversation and say, how do you know that? What do you mean? What is your, I think if you're going to do it. I don't it, think that's what Matt did. No, I, I think, I think it's harder yeah. and you better be ready because some of these people are much more skilled than that lady yeah. and they can, they can bulldoze you. Yeah. But uh, th- I think that's not the wrong move for media, but to have her on and then have, and now here's somebody who thinks the trans kids should live. No, no, that, that was an example of what not to do. And that's Shortcuts. Thank you for joining me. My pleasure. Okay, we are we are on Twitter at CanadaLand. You can email me about this show at jesse at CanadaLand.com. I read every email you send. Andrea, where can people find you? You can find me for the time being on Twitter at Drea Houston, but also all my work and uh, our incredible journalism at ricochet.media. All right. This episode is produced by Aviva Lassard with additional production by Caleb Thompson. Our managing editor is Annette Ajofo, and our editor-in-chief is Karen Puglese. Our theme music is by so-called syndications by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. We have been covering uh, the far right and populist movements and Canada's part in these movements for years. Mm-hmm. And Jonathan Goldsby did a lot of very early work in charting them. And we have put this stuff together. Rise of the Right is a curated collection on our new Canada Land podcast YouTube channel. Our team did a fantastic job of building this Canada Land YouTube channel. We've selected standout episodes from across our network over the past 10 years with fresh introductions from me and other members of our editorial team, including one Jonathan Goldsby. If you want to know what Canada Land looks like, you can watch us now on our Canada Land Podcasts channel on YouTube, at Canada Land Podcasts on YouTube. Subscribe, please. That helps other people find it, and it helps us know that we should keep doing this. If you value this podcast and what our network does, please support us. We rely on listeners like you paying for journalism. As a supporter, you will get premium access to all of our shows ad-free, including early releases and bonus content. You will get our exclusive newsletter, discounts on Canada Land merch, invites and tickets to our live and virtual events, and more than anything, you'll become a part of the solution to Canada's journalism crisis. You'll be keeping our work free and accessible to everybody. Please join us now. Click the link in your show notes or go to canadaland.com join. You can listen ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime.
best way to give someone a gift they'll never forget is to give a gift they'll always use. American Giant makes clothes that just keep getting better with age, like their iconic full-zip hoodie that's designed to last for decades. And a gift they'll wear for years is a gift that keeps on giving. But American Giant makes a lot more than just hoodies. They have impossibly comfy sweaters, classic tees, soft, structured sweatpants, even classic everyday denim. All made right here in the USA, with a quality you'll have to feel to believe. Be a gift-giving giant this holiday season at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code GRATEFULAG23. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, promo code GRATEFULAG23. In France, in the 13th century, a teenager ascends the throne. He seems calm, collected, and as it happens, drop-dead gorgeous. But looks can be deceiving, and no one is ready for the death, destruction, and chaos that lie ahead. Step inside the reign of one of the Middle Ages' most cold-blooded rulers on This Is History presents The Iron King, available wherever you get your podcasts.